getting us started this morning. For those here and listening on the radio, uh, we welcome you to First Church Worship Service. We're blessed that you could be a part of us this morning. For those listening on the radio, you are not alone. There are around 10,000 people tuning in each Sunday to be a part of our worship service. We uh, welcome Becky Quellhorst uh, from New Bremen as our guest musician this morning and uh, enjoy her presence and inspiration of her music. There are there is somebody here that is celebrating a birthday. Does anyone know who that might be? Yes. I've got a yes. A hint. They're 91 years today. Happy birthday, Elwood. Elwood Preter. Celebrating 91 years today. Happy birthday to you. Something to share a little bit with you. Uh, this past week, I had a meeting in Minnesota. On my return trip, I was flying home from the Rochester, Minnesota airport and listening to updates and delays as the weather was interfering with our plans to depart on time and hoping I would get home on Wednesday evening. And a woman of similar age to myself sat down next to me and started flipping through her iPad, looking at some pictures and started up a, a bit of a conversation with her. She had five children and the oldest, which was was a gal of 23 years old, was 23 years old. She was in uh, doing mission work in South Africa. And I just made the comment that it appears you're very active in your church. I found her response simple and truthful. We find it gives meaning to life. And that's something that has rung to me personally that uh, helps bring focus to what we do. There are many opportunities to serve, to be a part of Bible studies and prayer needs that we have in our church community. So please look through our bulletin as some of those are are listed there. Uh, A few that I'd like to highlight. Uh, The consistory has called a congregational meeting for Sunday, February 24th, immediately following the worship service to discuss and approve the bid for our new heating system. Pastor Joel's gospel project will take a break until after Easter. You are encouraged to join one of the other adult Sunday school groups during that period. On Sunday, February 17th, there will be a guided prayer from 8 to 845 in the Heritage Room. During guided prayer, we will read scripture related to specific topics and then pray three to four minutes for each of those small and small groups. Next is the call to worship, which is taken from Psalm 111. So do you follow along and join in with me? Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the council of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are honored by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of their other nations The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are justified. They are established forever and ever, enacted in faithfulness and uprightness. He provides redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding to bring him eternal praise. And now let's sing our opening hymn, number 43, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
and you may be seated. This time I'd like to invite forward our new consistory members uh, for their installation and prayer. Uh, for a new elder, we have Stan Reinecke, and our new deacons are Doug Bumbar and Rob Cheney, who is not able to be with us here this morning. So I invite the two of you to come forward with me. Good morning. Morning, Doug. We're going to start with you one at a time here, but we're so glad you guys could be here this morning. And, and the reason we do this is because, uh, one, we want you to see their smiling faces on a Sunday morning so you know who your new consistory members are. Uh, if you have any questions or concerns in their areas, you know, these are people that you can talk to. That's why they are in these positions. Uh, but, but maybe even more important than that is we want to take the time to, to thank God for their willingness to, to be here for their faith and for their, their willingness to step forward and serve the church in these ways. Um, and so we want to recognize that and then cover them in prayer as they begin their new terms, their new ministries, uh, here alongside us at First Church. And so, uh, Stan, I'm going to begin with you as an elder. There's just some, Questions here, uh, and, and we'll have questions for both of you, uh, that, that deal first about your faith and your, your commitment to the Lord and, and also your commitment to uh, the position of elder and then position of deacon. So Stan, I, I, encourage, I invite you to answer these questions uh, before the congregation and before the Lord. Do you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? I do. Do you believe the Old and New Testaments to be the inspired Word of God? And do you commit to align your life according to the Bible to the best of your ability with the help of the Holy Spirit? I do. do you feel called by God to the office of elder in order to serve God and edify the first church of New Knoxville? I do. And do you commit to fulfill the responsibilities of elder as outlined in our Constitution, which include the ability to assist and support the pastor in the spiritual affairs of the church, set an example to others, watch faithfully over the spiritual interests of the congregation, to maintain order in the house of God, to assist in the distribution of the elements of the Lord's Supper, and aid in visiting the sick, and minister according to your ability and the edification and comfort of all the members of First Church. I do, with the help of God. Praise God. Well, I invite, I'm going to pray for you, and I invite all of you that are gathered here today uh, to, to join me, join with me in prayer as we pray for Stan. Our merciful Father in heaven, we thank you that you have provided faithful and gifted people to serve as elders. As this new officer begins, uh, bear, excuse me, as these new office bearers assume their responsibilities, fill him with your spirit, allow him with your wisdom, endow him with your wisdom, and grant him strength. Make him faithful, a faithful worker in your vineyard, and under his guidance, may your church grow in every spiritual grace. And faith which is open and unashamed and in the committed service that promotes your reign in the world. Help him to perform his duties with enthusiasm and humility. In his work, grant him a sense of sustained awe which is rooted in daily adoration of you, his Lord. And through him, may your name be honored and your church be served. Amen. And Doug, I have similar questions for you that, uh, again, deal with your commitment to the Lord as well as your commitment to serve as a deacon. And so I invite you to answer these questions. Do you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Do you believe the Old and New Testaments to be the inspired Word of God? And do you commit to align your life according to the Bible to the best of your ability with the help of the Holy Spirit? And do you feel called to, by God to the office of deacon in order to serve God and edify the First Church of New Knoxville? And do you commit to fulfill the responsibilities of deacon as outlined in our Constitution, which include the ability to aid in securing the funds necessary for the support of the church, foster the principles of Christian stewardship, disperse the charity of the church, and assist in the distribution of the elements of the Lord's Supper? Amen. And again, I invite you to, all of you, to pray with me as I pray for him. Heavenly Father, since the time of the apostles, you have inspired the church to commission certain members to assist in a special way in the pastoral mission of Christ. Hear our prayer for your faithful people that in his vocation and ministry, each may be an instrument of your love. And we ask that you give to him, your servant, now to be ordained, the needful gifts of grace. Bless this deacon that he may be humble and faith-inspired in his service we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. 
And you guys can be seated, and as they are being seated, I invite you to take a moment and greet your neighbor as the children also come forward for children's chat. Hey, I got something that works. Hey, all right. I'm like over mic'd right now. Ah, it's all good. All right, so... Pastor Joel has spent a lot of time talking about the Ten Commandments. You've probably been studying them in Sunday school, right? And you go through each one and what it means. Oh, good. Have you figured out that they're rules yet? Have you figured out that they're rules yet? Do you have to... Oh, thanks. Can I hold that? Thanks. Oh, that's really pretty. Um, have you... Do you know that they're rules... Yeah? Uh, Do you have to follow rules other places than church? Where do you have to follow rules? Oh, come on. That's an easy one. Where where do you have to follow rules? School, yeah. Where do you have to follow rules? Uh, Pretty much everywhere. (laughs) Uh, What are some of the rules you have to follow? This will be good. God's rules, yeah. Cricket, cricket. Yeah, obey your parents, yeah. Uh, If you're at school, what kind of rules do you have to follow? No talking while they're teaching. Yeah, what else? What else? Oh, can't run in the halls. Yeah, what What else? thought you were going to tell me something about your hands. Oh, yeah, you definitely can't hit people. Yeah, that's not cool. Uh, I, oh, you do? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, God gives us rules for a really good reason. Do you know why? Well, yeah, so so that you can be safe and to help us get along with other people better. So the first four commandments that we've studied are basically the rules about how we behave towards God. Well, the last ones are, the other six are how we behave towards each other, how we should treat our friends, how we should treat our neighbors. But even the Ten Commandments and the rules at school and the rules at home and the rules in the car and the rules in the grocery store, that's a lot of rules. It's hard to remember. I know, right? In the bus. They have buses here? Cool. Oh. Well, uh, oh, well, that's cool. Um, so when we are doing trying to learn all of these rules, because we spend a lot of time when we're little learning rules, It's really important to remember that God really wants us to focus on two. Love him, love others. And all of the other rules in our lives pretty much boil down to those two. Love God, love others. So if I'm loving other people, can I hit them? No, probably not. If I'm loving other people, would I listen to my mom and dad? Probably If I'm loving God, would I go to church and learn everything I can about him? Yeah. That's that's a lot easier to remember, isn't it? Yeah. Love God. Love people. Pretty easy? All right. Let's pray. All right. Lord, thank you for our little ones. Please keep us safe and teach us to be more like you. And help us to remember life doesn't have to be that complicated. When it all boils down, if we love you and love other people, we'll be doing okay. Amen. Thanks, guys. Lost in our service. Jacksonville, Florida. Yeoman third class, Anthony Labadi, 21, from Lake Worth, Florida. Lackland Air Force Base, Captain Corey P. Waite, 29, San Antonio, Texas. Ailson Air Force Base, Alaska. Senior Airman Elijah Evans, 23, from Waldorf, Maryland. I invite all those who are able to stand and join us as we sing number 375, Jesus Calls Us.
be seated. I want to take this moment before we go to the Lord in prayer together to once again invite you to join us uh, at 8 o'clock next Sunday morning for uh, prayer gathering. Uh, this is the third, I believe, of these that we've done. Uh, we've ha- we have a, as I've shared with you before, there's a small group of people that meet every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock to pray for the church, for the service, for any other needs and concerns that we're aware of that are on our hearts. And, and, and out of that has come this desire to see more gather and to see the church come together with the same sort of attitude and same sort of commitment to prayer. And so that's what we're doing again this, this coming up Sunday, the 17th. Uh, it'll be a guided prayer session, which means that we'll have some scripture that's read and, and, and some prompts to kind of encourage you to pray about certain things or in certain directions. Uh, and we encourage you to, to do that together with a few other people. And so we hope that you're able to join us. Uh, all are welcome and, and it'll be a time to, to just come to before the Lord together as one church and lift up these things to Him. Uh, so with that in mind, let's continue to do that. Let's do that now as we are gathered here this morning. Let's lift up our prayers and our praises to him together. Uh, Father, you do call us into prayer. You call us into uh, a full trust and commitment to you. Uh, and Lord, that is not always easy as we as we uh, struggle through the through the um, the dangers and the, the, the setbacks of life, Lord. Uh, we face challenges and, and hardships, Lord, that that seem impossible to overcome. But you call us to trust you in and through those storms and, and trust you because you are in control and you promise to never leave nor forsake us. Lord, you never promise that life is going to be easy, uh, but you do promise that you will be with us and, and, and see us through uh, whatever challenges that we face. And Lord, it's in those moments, in those hard times that we learn to trust even more in you. And so I pray that you would draw us to yourself, uh, help us to have a peace in the midst of storms, and help us to have uh, the faith to say, not my will, but yours be done, as, as Jesus, you did in the garden the night you were betrayed. Lord, help us also to, to come to a, a knowledge of what Paul means when he says that, that, his, that your power is made perfect in our weakness. Help us to trust you all the more as we see our own shortcomings and our own failings and our own struggles in light of your grace and your mercy. And so, Lord, with all those things in mind, we come to you uh, full well knowing that there are people in our midst here this morning. There's people listening in on, to the service on the radio. Uh, there's people in our communities who are in need of, of healing, who are in need of reconciliation and forgiveness and provision. And so we lift them up to you this morning. Lord, where, where you, help is needed, we ask that you would work in amazing and wonderful ways to meet those needs. And we ask that you would enable us, Lord, to be the instruments of, of your peace, to be the answer to prayer when and where we are able. So help us, Lord, to see needs and meet them. Help us to come alongside those who are struggling and, and be a support to lift them up. And, Lord, we ask that it, we would have that uh, ability by your Spirit to, to see those needs and meet them. Lord, you are good, and, and we trust fully in your plan and your purpose for our lives, even if we don't understand it or don't know it at this time. We trust ourselves completely and fully to you. And we pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward this time. We're blessed to have the choir uh, offer some special music during this time.
If you are able, please remain standing for the reading of Scripture. You may follow along in in your pew Bible, beginning on page 75. The reading this morning comes from Exodus 20, verses 1 through 14. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to your Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You may be seated. Thank you, sir. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you humbly uh, this morning and and submit ourselves to you and, and this time that we have to worship and praise you. As we gather around your word now, I ask that you would give us wisdom, help us to understand what 
you have to say to us in these passages and help us, Lord, to to look at it with, with humble and soft hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to begin this morning by once again asking for for your grace and your your willingness and your your um, your permission to to go into some difficult areas here. Uh, last week, as we looked at the commandment, we shall you shall not commit murder. Uh, we we looked at some very difficult, maybe hot button issues and. And I appreciate some of you uh, reached out to me and, and, and gave me your feedback, and I appreciate that. And I thank you so much for, for your willingness to listen and understand uh, how we're trying to look at these, not just these commandments, not just from a surface-level perspective, but, but look at the implications. Look at what God is, is truly desiring from us in these passages, not, not just keeping them to the letter of the law, but looking at, as Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount, as, as issues of the heart. And so, uh, so I ask you again this morning to, to extend your grace to me and, and, and really extend grace to each other as well as we talk about yet another difficult topic that will hit home for many, if not all of us. See, the reality is that, that all of us, especially when we look at what Jesus has to say in the Sermon on the Mount, all of us have been affected or have to, had to suffer the consequences of sexual sin to one degree or another. I don't believe any of us have really been left unaffected by this commandment and the implications of it. And so I want to stand up here and say we're all in the same boat. We all have, we all have something to learn. We all have work to do. And I want to encourage us to, to, uh, look at that with open hearts, open minds, and especially with a perspective of grace, the grace that Christ has for each one of us. And so as we do so, as, as we look at this today, I invite you to, to look at it from that perspective together again with me. We're going to be looking at, at the seventh commandment here, you shall not commit adultery. I think a good way to, to begin looking at this passage, and it may be a helpful way to, for us to frame this conversation, is first of all to look at what God is for, not so much what he's against. Because I think if we have a true, healthy, good understanding of sex and the place that it has within marriage and within human life, then it will help us to understand why committing adultery as well as other sexual sins are such a big deal and why they have such a negative effect in our own lives, in our relationships, and in, in our world today. See, in a sense, we can think of it like fire. Right? Fire is a good and wonderful and useful thing when it's within its proper context. When fire is within its fireplace, when it's on the stovetop, uh, when it's in the furnace, it's, it has its purpose, right? And it's a good and useful and beneficial thing. As fire is used to heat homes and cook food, we see that as it's within, when it's within its proper context, it does what it's supposed to do and it accomplishes its intended purpose. And it is for the benefit of us all. But when fire is, 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 is placed outside of its proper context, if the fire was no longer in your fireplace but on the living room floor, you got some problems and some serious consequences and implications of that reality. When fire is no longer contained to where it is intended to be, it is both destructive and dangerous. And sex, in a way, is very much like that. Within its proper context, when it is, when it is in its proper place, it is a good and wonderful and beautiful thing and, and it a, a gift from God. But when it is used and engaged in outside of its proper context, there are consequences. There are uh, implications and effects that we may, may not even see coming. And so I want to encourage us to begin by looking at the purpose and the, 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 the context of sex and why God has given it to us. And from there, we will see why, why removing it from that context is such a dangerous thing for ourselves. So first, it's important for us to look at the purpose of sex. Why did God give us this gift? And, and it is a God-given gift. I think Christians have often had a reputation of, of being prudish or standoffish when it comes to sex. But if we look at Scripture, if we look at, at what Scripture says about sex, it is a, the Bible teaches us that sex is a good and wonderful gift from God used within the context of marriage between one man and one woman. See, the reason, the purpose of sex is that it brings two people together. It is, it is the intimacy that is derived from that relationship. 
Sex is the giving of yourself completely, both body and spirit, to another person. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 22 through 25, we see what God intended for the sexual relationship to be like. In this passage, God had just created Eve and gave her to Adam to, to be one, to be together as, as husband and wife. And, and in response to that, Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. You see, what, what the sexual relationship does is it brings two people together as one. That one flesh connection. And, and, and it's an intimacy that, that goes beyond any other friendship or any other relationship we may have. And I, wanna, I want you to remember today that, that sex is not just a physical act. It's not just a, a physical relationship between two people. I think that's what a misunderstanding we often have in our culture today, that we, we say sex is no big deal because it's just a physical act between two people. And if they're consenting adults, that's no big deal. But Scripture teaches us otherwise, that, that the sexual union is, is not just a physical act, it's spiritual, it's two people becoming one. And no matter how much we want to, to downgrade that or ignore that, that is true. And that is a reality. As two people come together in a sexual relationship, they are together in body and in spirit. You see, as part of that intimacy, as part of that relationship, there is pleasure, of course. And that pleasure creates the bond and a desire for one another. As I mentioned, the Bible does not shy away from this aspect of the sexual relationship, as some may think. In fact, the Bible celebrates and encourages husbands and wives to enjoy one another within the context of a marriage relationship. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 5, verses 15 through 20, we see, we see this uh, instruction from the Lord. It says, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone and never be to share, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always and may you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? See, we're supposed to be intoxicated and infatuated with our spouse. God desires that we have that desire for one another. In fact, the, the Song of Songs is an entire poem, eight chapters in our scriptures of the Old Testament that is committed to celebrating the love between a husband and wife. Sometimes we kind of flip over that passage. We're not so, so sure what to do with that, but it is really a love poem. It's a, it's a celebration of the love both this, the spiritual and physical act of love between a man and wife. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1-9, through 9, as Paul is teaching about marriage, he says that, that the husband and wife belong to one another. Not that the wife belongs to her husband or the husband belongs to his wife alone, but that they belong to each other. And that, in that within that relationship, within that context, they should not deprive one another of, of the union between husband and wife. And so the Bible does celebrate sex within that context. And it is about the intimacy, that close connection, that bond that a husband and wife form in that, in that relationship. It does serve another purpose, too, as well, secondary, I believe, to the intimacy issue. And that is childbearing. Unless you skipped your middle school health class, you know that, that child, children are a result of the, the sexual relationship of a husband and wife. Genesis 1.28, after God creates man and women in his own image, he tells them to be fruitful and multiply. Of course, that is within the context of marriage, within the context of the man and woman being created for one another. And so children are created within the context then of a loving, committed relationship. They're the, the product of the husband and wife's closeness and intimacy. And it's within that context, within that family bond, that children are meant to be raised 
so they may see what that's truly like, so they may follow the good and holy and wonderful example of their parents. Now, I said that, that, that this purpose is secondary, not primary, because the reality is that sometimes marriage and that sexual relationship does not result in children, whether by choice or whether through uh, natural reasons. Some people simply are not able to have kids of their own. But that does not invalidate the marriage relationship. That does not invalidate the purpose that God has, has placed man and woman together. And so while, while this may bring up issues of, of, of childlessness or infertility, we must remember that, that that purpose is still always secondary, a very important purpose, but secondary to the primary purpose of the intimacy that that relationship should have. So that's the, the purpose, the reason why God gave us sex to begin with. And then second, I want to to remind us of the context of sex. Sex is meant to be within the marriage relationship only. If sex is truly a spiritual act, the union, the coming together of two people who become one flesh, it must then be done within the context of a committed relationship. You see, when two people have a sexual relationship with one, one another, they're going to become one flesh, as Scripture says, whether they're married or not. That connection between body and spirit is going to happen whether you're in that committed relationship or not. And see, that's where the danger is. Because it's very difficult to become one flesh with people you're not committed to. There's going to be dangers there, right? There's going to be a closeness and an intimacy and a connection that will then be torn apart when the relationship ends or one or both people move on. See, we are created to be one with another person. But then when we that relationship ends, whether it's premarital or through divorce, it's, it's messy, it's painful, it's destructive. And there are unfortunate and sometimes unexpected consequences as a result of that. And I do have to say that men and women should both be held to the same standard. Sometimes we say boys will be boys, right? But then girls are expected to, to, to live up to a different standard. That's not what Scripture has for us. This is for both men and women. Both are held to the same standard of a, of, of a committed sexual relationship within the context of marriage. And there's really only one way to be truly vulnerable and completely give yourself to another person is to know that you've been that the other person is committed to do the same in response. That's why marriage is so important because it's that commitment that that complete giving of oneself to another that allows that sexual relationship to flourish and find its true meaning and purpose. When you're not truly committed to one another or when 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 one person is not committed to the relationship, it has destructive results for that relationship as well as potentially others says in the Genesis 2 passage that Adam, when Adam and Eve came together, it says that they were naked and felt no shame. What a beautiful picture of what that closeness and intimacy was meant to be like. Now, of course, all of us have been affected by sin, sexual sin and otherwise, right? And so that it's almost impossible to have that pure, that, that perfect of a relationship with another person. But I believe the closest that we can come to is, is the relationship between husband and wife. So marriage is a, is a, is, is, sex is meant to be within the context of marriage, but it's also, marriage is meant to be a commitment of lifelong fidelity. When you say, I do on your wedding day, you're implicitly saying, I don't to every other person in the world. And vows are really the core of the marriage commitment itself. To commit to one another through good and bad, through richer, for poorer, through sickness, through health, as long as we both shall live. That is a commitment to be by one another's side through the good and the bad of life, until God calls you home. It's a reflection. Marriage vows are meant to be meant to point us to the commitment that God has made to us through Christ. Marriage ultimately points us to the relationship that Christ has with the church. It says so in Ephesians chapter five. See, God is faithful. God is committed. He will never abandon us. He pursues us with unfailing, never giving up love. He gave himself for us on the cross. He died so that we may live. And that's the kind of love that a marriage relationship is meant to emulate. 
That's the kind of love that our commitment to each other as husbands and wives is meant to point to. None of us are going to be perfect, right? None of us are going to live up to that. But that's, that's the ideal. That's the, that's the picture of love that we are striving to fulfill ourselves. But we can't truly love someone, we can't love our wives, we can't love our husbands if there's another woman or man in the picture competing for that attention. In fact, Scripture often describes our sin, whatever the cause or whatever the root is, as sexual infidelity. It's a running analogy throughout the Old and New Testaments that that sin is, is in a sense, committing adultery against God. Israel committed adultery against God by worshiping idols, by turning away from God and to other gods and other rebellious sins. They and we ourselves have broken that marriage covenant. The Old, Old Testament prophet Hosea paints us a beautiful picture of what our unfaithfulness and what God's faithfulness truly looks like. God commanded Hosea to go out and to, to marry a promiscuous woman, an unfaithful wife. And over and over again, she would abandon him and go chasing after other people. Over and over again, she would leave him to have relationships with other men or even sell herself into prostitution. And over and over again, God commanded Hosea, go buy her back. Go bring her home. See, because that's what God has done for us, isn't it? We run away from God to others. We, we, we seek after other things that we think will make us happy, that will fulfill us. And sometimes even within the context, within, uh, that means sexual sin in, in, in its various forms. We think that it will bring us joy and pleasure and contentment that ultimately only God can satisfy. And instead of leaving us, instead of abandoning us, God buys us back. God brings us back into relationship with him. No matter how far we've gone, no matter how far we've strayed, no matter how many terrible, awful, no good things we've done, God over and over again brings us back. See, that's the picture of of reconciliation and faithfulness and love and grace that we need to know for ourselves and our own relationship with God, as well as best we are able to extend that to each other within the marriage relationship and other other relationships as well. And also, part of this commandment is also that we must not interfere with the marriage, or we must not interfere with sexual relationships uh, in the marriage of other people. Marriage has enough challenges of its own, and so we don't want to be the people that contribute to those problems by seeking uh, to come between a husband and wife. We must not do anything explicit or implicit that contributes to the sexual sin of others. Hebrews 13 forces that we must keep the marriage bed pure, which I believe is true for our own relationships, but it also means that we must protect and, and look out for others as well. We don't want to defile another person's marriage bed. In a sense, if we have friends and coworkers and neighbors who are married, we must always see them as off limits. There's a show called How I Met Your Mother, and in one of the episodes, uh, one of the main characters gets engaged to her best friend, and, and she begins wearing her, her engagement ring around, and, and she begins to notice something, that she becomes invisible to all of the men at the bar that they hang out with. And she has this experiment where she, she takes her ring, and she, she takes it off, and all of a sudden a guy notices her. She puts it back on, and he just completely forgets that she's even there. And she does this over and over and takes her ring off, puts it back on, takes her ring off, puts it back on. And noticing that when she's wearing that ring, it's like she's invisible, that other men aren't noticing her. And I want to challenge us to think that when our ring is on or when we see that ring on others, that they are invisible to us as well. We must commit not only to our own marriage relationship, but also protecting and watching out for the relationships of others. Why is this such a serious thing? Why does God take sexual sin so seriously? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 teaches us that we are part of Christ's body. We are in union with him. And that when we commit sexual sin, it's, it's not something that we do to someone else or outside of our own body, but it's a sin that we commit in and of ourselves. And so when we do that, we're, we're, we're defiling ourselves and we're, we're defiling our relationship with Christ. Sexual identity, uh, infidelity, Ruins relationships and turns lives upside down. 
Think of the story of David and Bathsheba and all that he had gone through. He sees this woman bathing on her roof and, and he allows that thought to dwell within himself and he, he, he commands her to come and to be with him and she becomes pregnant and, and he must then get rid of her husband so that his, his sin is not discovered and, and he ends up murdering him by proxy and, and, and all these terrible, awful things came out of his sin. You see, sin escalates. Lives are often destroyed, all in a, in a desperate attempt to hide the wrongdoing. And sexual sin is no different. It affects not only ourselves, but our relationships. And we need to acknowledge that. Jesus takes this commandment and transforms it. And I want to read Matthew chapter 25, or excuse me, chapter 5, verses 25 through 30 for you. Or 27 through 30. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Once again, Jesus transforms this commandment to deal with matters of the heart. Adultery is not just about the physical act. We can commit adultery in our minds and our hearts without even going near another person. So there's two things we need to remember from this passage. One is that sin is is dwelling on and becoming fixated with a person that is not your spouse. Noticing another person is attractive is not a sin. Undressing them in your mind and imagining being with them is. So we must not dwell on those thoughts. This passage also reminds us of the importance of protecting ourselves. Now, we don't actually need to gouge out our eyes or cut off our hands. That's not what Jesus is truly encouraging. He's using hyperbole here. But he does encourage, he does, the, the, the point of needing to protect ourselves, put up barriers and limits so that we are, don't find ourselves in those situations is, is very important. Billy Graham was known for never being alone with another woman in a room by himself. Just not, not that he was worried about what would happen himself, but he didn't even want to give out the, give, give himself or give that woman the chance of infidelity or inappropriate behaviors. And so he just never put himself in that situation. And so what limits do you need to, to put on yourself? Maybe you need to have a Billy Graham rule for your own life. Maybe you need to monitor or limit computer usage in appropriate ways. Maybe you need to, and I think this is true for all of us, need to communicate honestly and openly with our spouses. So where do we go from here? See, those tempted, for those that are tempted by sexual sin, I want to encourage you, as 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, that no sin has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God, I will give you a way out in order for you to stand up underneath it. In other words, we can flee from sin. We don't have to give into it. It is not required that we give into our temptations. In Genesis chapter 4, if Cain and Abel, God tells Cain that, that sin is crouching at his door, seeking to devour him. Do not let it overcome you. Same way we should not allow our sexual sin or sexual desires to overcome us. For those of you who have committed sexual sin, know that there is forgiveness. Know that there is redemption in Christ. In John 8, 1 through 11, Jesus encounters a woman who is caught in adultery and, and the, the religious leaders were trying to get Jesus to, 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 to allow them to stone her and, and he refuses. And when everyone else had left, Jesus looks at her and he says, do, where are the people that condemn you? And, and they're all gone. And so Jesus says, well, neither do I. So go and sin no more. And there's three things we need to remember there. We need to notice there. There's, there's, there's acknowledgement of sin. Jesus didn't say, well, it was no big deal. Don't worry about it. He acknowledged that it, in fact, was sin. He says, go and sin no more, implies that there was sin to begin with. There's forgiveness in Christ. He says, well, neither do I condemn you. In Christ, there is forgiveness. No matter how terrible and awful our sins are, we can find redemption and forgiveness in Christ. And that includes our sexual sin. But there's also repentance that needs to be there as well. Acknowledging sin for sin. And and as Jesus says, going and sinning no more. A change of heart, a change of attitude, a change of mind, change of behavior, so that we are no longer mastered or ruled by sin, but are living for Christ and in Christ. For those of you who have been affected by sexual sin, know that, that we are new creations in Christ, according to Second Corinthians chapter 5. 
and that we are called to the ministry of reconciliation. Not just encouraging people to be reconciled to God, but also to be reconciled to one another. So we are called to, to, for, to reconciliation, to healing, to forgiveness. Elsewhere in Scripture, God encourages us to forgive as we ourselves have been forgiven. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean that their relationship is necessarily going to be restored. We understand that damage has been done and sometimes it is too far removed. But that doesn't, and it doesn't mean that you should trust that person implicitly again, fully and completely from that point on. Trust is something that needs to be built and rebuilt. But we can forgive. And we can love because that is the example that Christ has shown us. And we need to remember, and I want to end with these words from Romans chapter 3. Remember that this is something that has affected all of us. Perhaps not sexual sin uh, itself, although we've all been affected by it to an extent, but sin in general. And so we all need to hear these words of grace from Romans chapter 3. Beginning in verse 22, it says, The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Notice what's going on there. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. None of us are immune to that. But we all have been given and forgiven through faith in Christ. So no matter what you're facing today, no matter what, how you've been affected by this, know that you have been forgiven in Christ and that he can transform you and make you new. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you have given us grace, that you have filled us uh, with your love and your spirit and help us to then to now move forward in a new direction. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and let's. Uh, sing number 379, Take My Life and Let It Be.
God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.